0: Thank you for choosing of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniatristachurch.org. So I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Mark and chapter 1. And you're saying, hey, we already been there. Well, yeah, I know, but we're just going to take a quick peek as to the purpose of the book. And then we are going to go down through our lesson together. If you have a, probably a yellow piece of paper or a purple piece of paper, you can take some notes there. A little bit of a longer introduction, and then we'll read our text. But I do want you to take a peek. Yeah, Youth Sunday School, if anybody's interested. I do want you to take a peek how Mark begins the gospel. So Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel, gospel means good news, and this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So if you're following along here, uh, it says Mark begins his gospel account by stating, what I just read, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then what follows throughout the whole book, and we're currently on chapter 6, but what follows in the whole book is written proof of this idea that Jesus is the Christ, the Son, of God. And if you will remember there in the first chapter, uh, Jesus is commissioned by the Trinity. John the Baptist is introduced and his job is to prepare the way through baptism of repentance, prepare the way for Jesus to come. And we're also uh, told that John the Baptist baptizes Jesus as kind of an inauguration to his ministry. And then if you remember right, The Father speaks, the Spirit comes down in the form of a dove to confirm this inauguration, kind of the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And then Jesus is tempted by the devil immediately, Mark says immediately after the baptism. uh, The Spirit sends Jesus into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan and he prevails. And of course all of this is also found in Matthew Luke, and John. These are the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. And most of the stories that we have been looking at are also recorded in some of the other Gospels. And so Jesus then drives out the demons. We've read about that. He heals all types of diseases. He teaches with authority and the people are amazed. Uh, He calms the seas. And last week we talked about, well, a couple weeks ago we talked about him feeding the 5,000. And yet, it's not until Jesus walks on water that the disciples completely get on board. And that's why the title of our message is, This One, this miracle that we're going to look at today makes the difference. This is the one that actually makes the difference. Jesus shows his authority and his power by all kinds of miracles. The miracles are accompanied by his teaching. And then he begins to get a following. People are following him. They're excited about his ministry. He's doing a lot of miraculous things. And so he's getting a very large following. And a couple of weeks ago we said the feeding of 5,000 was probably more like the feeding of twenty to 25,000. So it's a lot of people that are gathering around Jesus. And during this time, he calls the 12 specifically to be his disciples. So we are going to pick up our text in uh, uh, Mark chapter 6 and verse 45. So this is after Jesus feeds the 5,000. And it says immediately, and Mark says that a lot in his book, everything is immediate, everything is pressing, everything is important now. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Now, it's not recorded here, and we're going to take a peek at the book of John. But in the book of John, after the feeding of the 5,000, the people, and I think we mentioned this a few weeks ago, immediately wanted to make Jesus king. And Jesus says, knowing that his time had not come yet, he dismisses the crowd. And so uh, Mark doesn't tell us that, but that's why he immediately sends the disciples out. He doesn't want them to get involved in them, the people, trying to immediately make him king. So immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And yes, Jesus prays. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, God the Son, prays. And probably a challenge that if Jesus prayed, well, we ought to too. And tenfold. When evening came... The boat that the disciples were in was in the middle of the lake. Now, the lake is not that wide. This is the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee. It's not that wide. It's about six miles wide or so. And uh, Jesus is up on a mountainside and the disciples are in the middle of the lake. And Jesus, it says, was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not... I'm not assuming that it was clear enough for Jesus to actually see out into the middle of the lake. Maybe he did. But possibly this is the idea of his omniscience, his idea of knowing all. Uh, The word omniscient means all knowing. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch. So the days are designed in different time frames. The fourth watch is about 3 to 6 a.m. around that time. So they've been out in the water for a while. They're not going that far, but the waves are, and winds are against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. And this is a little bit of a strange verse here. He was about to pass by them. Now, I did a lot of reading this past week, and most of the commentary said that that was probably from the disciples' perspective, but it certainly was not Jesus' uh, idea to get out on the water and walk past his struggling disciples. So the thought was more from his disciples' perspective. It looked like maybe Jesus was going to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Oh, it would be a weird thing to see somebody out walking on the water. I remember when I was a, a kid, we took a backpack trip. We went up into the High Sierras in California, in there's beautiful, pristine lake. And I remember we were all swimming out in this lake, and uh, there was a rock that was way out in this lake, but it was only about this far from the, from the, uh, submerged in the water. And so I got up on that rock, and, uh. I was yelling back, Hey, look, I'm walking on the water. Well, it really did look like I was walking on the water way out in the middle of this lake, but I was actually standing on this rock. And I think somewhere out there, there's a picture of it because I've seen it. So, yes, your pastor does walk on water. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Okay, so... uh, Immediately, it says, there's that word again. He spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. What's missing from Mark that the other Gospels talk about? Anybody know? Peter. Yeah, where's Peter? This is an interesting thing. Peter helps Mark write the gospel. Peter helps Mark write the gospel of Mark. And for whatever reason, Peter decides eh, that walking in the water thing was not... Maybe you don't need to put that in there. All right, I don't know what was going on, but... Maybe Peter had matured enough that says, you know, I don't, need to, I, don't need to be, I don't need to shine here as somebody who walked on water. Or maybe he realized that that was, I mean, his walking on the water was good for a while until he took his eyes off Jesus and then he sank. But nonetheless, it's not mentioned here. That's kind of interesting. It says, Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were uh, completely amazed. And then look at verse uh, 52. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. All this stuff that Jesus had been doing, it still didn't quite sink in. I mean, He healed the leprosy. He calmed the winds and the storm. He fed the 5,000. He had all these teachings. And yet, the disciples still did not quite get it. Did not quite get it. Verse 53. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countrysides, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. How's that? Well, we remember the woman did. They heard this story, and all who touched him were healed. It's after this miracle and some hard teachings recorded in the Gospel of John, we're going to take a peek at those real quickly. It's after this miracle, the walking on the water, and some hard teachings recorded in the Gospel of John, not in Mark, that many of the followers of Jesus leave but not the twelve, not the twelve. Take your Bible and turn over to Mark, I'm sorry, John chapter 6, and we're going to look at a little bit of that hard teaching. So in John chapter 6 and verse 1, we see Jesus feeds the 5,000. Okay, we already saw that. And then verse 16, we see that Jesus walks on the water, what we're talking about right now. And then there's this whole section that's not recorded in the book of Mark that's called Jesus, the bread of life. And so in my Bible, this area, Jesus, the bread of life, a lot of red print, which is basically the teachings of Jesus. So I want us to look at this hard teaching, and that's what uh, some of his followers say it is. It's hard teaching. I want us to look at uh, chapter 6, verse 53. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, and then this is going to just sound weird. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now here you go, verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Look at verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. But then look at the 12. Jesus says, verse 67, you do not want to leave two, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Well, this is after now, the feeding of the 5,000, all those miracles, but most importantly, it's after Jesus walks on the water. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So something happened to the disciples. The hard teachings basically are saying, to be a follower of Jesus, you had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Now, that sounds a lot like cannibalism, and Jesus, of course, is not teaching cannibalism here. In the context, and if you look at verse 47, it really talks about eating and drinking is the idea of believing and committing. So this idea of eating the flesh and drinking the blood is more in context with believing and committing... The idea Mark is trying to get across to them and that Jesus is trying to get across to them is that he wants to be Jesus, their Savior and Lord. He wants to be their Savior. He wants to save them from their sins, but he also wants to be their Lord. He wants to be in charge, large and in charge of their life. And so the hard teaching was that this did not mesh with their idea of what the Savior should be. Remember, they wanted to make him king. They thought that immediately they were going to make him king after the feeding of the 5,000 and that especially he was going to go and take care of the Romans and get rid of the Romans and make this Jewish nation wonderful and great again. They wanted to make him king immediately But that, of course, was not his desire. His time had not yet come. That's what it says. And so the disciples here make what is the first great confession of their faith and uh, of their understanding of who Jesus is. And Peter is the spokesperson and they, Peter makes another confession later on in Matthew, I think, Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus says, hey, who does, who does everybody think I am? Well, some people think you're so-and-so, and some people think you're so-and-so. And Jesus says, who do you think I am? And Peter is the spokesperson here, and he says, we believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so, uh, it says... Uh, That Jesus says, you're not going to leave too. And so this is the disciples' first great confession. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One from God. It's after Jesus walked on water that they are caught, hook, line, and sinker. That's a fishing term. Everybody know that? Bob, did you realize that? That was a fishing term? You didn't, you didn't realize that? Yeah, <laughs> uh, That's a fishing term. Andrew, did you realize that was a fishing term? Okay, all right, good. Uh, the disciples, after Jesus walked on water, were caught hook, line, and sinker to be committed Christ followers. Now, were they perfect? Of course not. We know that Peter denies Christ and we've got all kinds of other problems with the disciples. But that's where they have decided that they want to with the power of the Holy Spirit in them, be committed Christ followers. And even after they witnessed all that other stuff, they were still hard-hearted. So a point for you. Don't give up on family who are not yet Christ followers. That's something to think about. You know, we all have people in our family, friends of ours, people we work with that are not Christ followers. And so the idea, even after all the disciples had seen they still were not Christ followers. So, the idea is don't give up on family members who are not yet Christ followers. Continue to pray for them. That's the, probably the biggest thing that you can do. And then be a witness to them. Becoming a Christ follower is a process. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about this morning. So, there's a whole lot of different ways you could take this uh, walking on water. One of the outlines I could have prepared was the Lord prays. The Lord protects, the Lord provides, because that's what we see in the text here. Another way I could go about this is, uh, this is an idea from what uh, one of the commentaries I read, that, that, that this is an idea for the church. Jesus is praying for the church, who is struggling in life, out in the oceans of life, and then the Lord comes, walks on water, and brings the church safely to heaven. Okay? I, could have, I could have gone that route too, but I wanted to go a different route. I wanted to talk about the process of the twelve and us, if we are Christ followers, and those yet found by, and I love this idea of God, the hound of heaven the hound of heaven. It's not it's not scriptural, but it is a poem, and if you're interested you can look that poem up. It was written in the I think early 1900s. But the poem is entitled The Hound of Heaven. And I remember when our son was struggling in his faith a little bit and it just seemed like God was after him. And I said to my son, I said, you know the Bible says, well, it's not really the Bible, but the idea is, is similar that God is like the hound of heaven. And I said, you know what a hound is? And he says, yeah. It's something that won't get off your rear end. (laughs) And I said, yes, you are right. God is the hound of heaven in pursuit of sinners by a lovely God and a loving God. God is the hound of heaven. And I want to read to you the first few words of the poem, The Hound of Heaven. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the winding ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. But with unhurrying chase... An unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy. They beat, and a voice beat more instant than the feet. The hound of heaven. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Shows the, the idea of the guy running from the Lord and the Lord pursuing him. He is the hound of heaven. So how does one move from being curious... To being committed. And that's what I want to talk to you about. And that's where you get to take some notes. There you go. And you will see this. The whole process for the disciples and us and those that are not yet followers of Christ can be summarized in these four points. And we'll go through these pretty quickly. The first is recognition. Recognition of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All right, that's what Mark said at the very beginning. I want to tell you about the beginning of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So those of us that know Jesus as our Savior, for the disciples and for those that yet know Jesus as their Savior, there has to be a recognition of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For the disciples, it was two years. And by the time Jesus is walking on water now, it's about two years into his ministry. And remember, there's only three total. Or so. So it was not until about two years into the ministry, after spending 24 /7 in a relationship with Jesus, that they begin during those two years to recognize Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They heard His teaching, they saw His miracles, and they begin to recognize that He is who He said He was. and that's the first step. Helping someone, or maybe you remember when you became a Christian, recognize Jesus for who he said he was. Remember C.S. Lewis, the author, the scholar? He had to get to that point of recognizing him to be Lord. Remember, he wrote a book, Lord, Liar, or Lunatic. And C.S. Lewis said, I had to recognize him to be Lord before I could move on. And he said, "And I had to go through this idea. He's not just a good teacher, he's not just a good guy, he's, he's not just a prophet, because that's not what he said he was. He was either a liar, he was either a lunatic, or he was either a lord. And so C.S. Lewis had to get to that point of recognizing Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But it takes more than just recognizing because even the demons, the Bible says, recognize who Jesus is. In fact, remember all those teachings uh, or, or those miracles that we talked about? And those demons show up and immediately they run to Jesus and say, What do you want with me? Jesus, They recognized who Jesus was. Number two is a realization of my need for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. A realization <clears throat> that I have a need for Jesus Christ who is the Son of God. And I can tell you, even as an 8-year-old, I became a Christian when I was 8 years old, even as an 8-year-old, I knew I needed a Savior. Even as an 8-year-old, I knew I needed a Savior. I knew I was a sinner. I remember I told my mom to shut up one time. All right? Yikes is right. I went home and she gave me a spoonful of Tabasco sauce. She, she passed over the soap and went right to Tabasco sauce. And my mouth was so much on fire, my mom thought I was going to have to take, she thought I was gonna, she was going to have to take me to the hospital. She said, what have I done? What have I done? I'm going to kill him. But I said, you know, I knew that even as an eight-year-old, I had done things that were wrong. I needed a savior. I was a sinner and I could not save myself. And probably most important, I must have heard something about hell. Because when you hear about hell, if there really is a place, which the Bible says of course there is, you don't want to go there. So even as an eight-year-old, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I could not save myself. And I certainly did not want to go to hell. And so if you recognize Jesus as the Son of God, the natural next step is to realize you have a void that you cannot fill. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is about King Solomon trying to fill that void. He tried to fill it with women, with money, with prestige, with power, all those things. And people that have come to Christ who have tried to fill the void with all those things we know them. we've heard of them we've heard their testimony they said it didn't work after i got all the prestige after i got all the money after i got all the accolades it just wasn't worth it 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 just didn't mesh. it didn't it didn't fulfill me and so the natural next step is to realize you have a void that you cannot fulfill yourself the disciples realized this. The disciples came to the realization and they said, there is nowhere else to go. You know, Jesus says, do you want to leave too? And they said, no, there is no el- nowhere else to go. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God who offers eternal life. You know, it's all, it's all about eternal life. It's all about eternal life. Because the older we get, let's just be honest, the older we get... Time flies. Time flies. It's hard for me to believe how fast time goes. In James chapter 4 verse 14, it says life is a vapor. Remember a few months ago when it was cold? (laughs) It, It does get cold here, you know that. That when you breathe that air comes out and it's just gone. And the older I get the more it seems like life is just a vapor. I want to read to you possibly one of the most uplifting songs the group of Kansas wrote. I close my eyes only for a moment and the moment's gone. All my dreams pass before my eyes, a curiosity. Dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind. Same old song, just a drop of water in an endless sea. All we do crumbles to the ground though we refuse to see. Dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind. Now don't hang on, nothing lasts forever, but the earth and sky, it slips away. And all your money won't another minute buy. Dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind. Dust in the wind, everything is dust in the wind. Everything is dust in the wind, in the wind. Now is that not the most uplifted song you have ever heard? <laughs> I mean... Seriously, that is so, 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 so sad of a song if that's what your life is all about. If that's what your life is all about. The disciple says, You are the Holy One of God. Who else offers eternal life? It really is all about eternal life. Because, man, life goes by fast. And I want to spend eternity with Jesus. Amen? Amen. So... You go to point number three. got to believe. Believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can meet my need for salvation and provide for me eternal life. And there's a whole bunch of Bible verses. We'll take a look at a couple of them. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And this is what it says. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord... And here you go. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And then Acts 16.31. Acts 16.31. Talking about this idea of believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can meet that need. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then John three sixteen, you know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 36 of John 3 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. To believe is more, and we've talked about this before, it's more than just an intellectual belief. It includes a commitment to that belief that makes you become a Christ follower. You become like Jesus. And then number four, a willingness to let him meet my need. A willingness. So you've got to recognize, you've got to realize, you've got to believe, you've got to have a willingness to let God meet that need. And what does this willingness look like? I've got a slide up here that I'd like you to take a peek at. Oh, where'd that one go? we didn't get it. It's not a big deal. We'll get it next week. I'll show it to you. This idea of the willingness to let him meet my need, it's the frosting on the cake. It's it's the frosting on the cake, you know? It's the kiss that seals the vows. Remember when you were married and the pastor said, you may now kiss your bride. This willingness to let Jesus meet my need is that kiss that seals the vows. It's a wonderful transition from death to life. That willingness is a wonderful transition. That willingness of saying yes to Jesus is a wonderful transition from this very immediate life where we will die to an eternal life. And so at the bottom of your bulletin it says, Where are you in the process of making Jesus Christ the Son of God your Savior and Lord? That's something to think about. Where are you in the process of making Jesus Christ the Son of God your Savior and Lord? Some of you are saying, yeah, I've already, I've already done it. I, I recognized, I realized, I uh, uh, believed, and I, I invited Jesus in. There was a willingness for him to meet my needs. Some of you are saying, you know, I'm recognizing who Jesus is. Some of you are saying, you know, I've, I've recognized who Jesus is, and now there is a realization that I need Jesus to meet that need. Some of you are getting close to believing that Jesus... The son of God can meet that need and some of you are right on the edge of inviting him in. I came across this reading from Dr. David Jeremiah this past week. It was interesting. While Ruth Bryant was celebrating her 100th birthday party, police arrived at her assisted living center with handcuffs. Are you Miss Bryant? said an officer. He handcuffed her to her walker and led her to the police car. When she kicked at him he said don't kick me I've got a bad knee. Ruth replied I've got two bad knees. She was taken to the county jail and given an orange jumpsuit and then everyone posed for pictures. Apparently one of the remaining items on Ruth's bucket list was being arrested for something. (laughs) It's funny. Do you have a bucket list? Things you want to do before you kick the bucket. Well, I'm telling you, be sure that you don't kick the bucket before you invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Let's say a prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you as just maybe a reminder of how we found Jesus. How we recognized who Jesus was. How we realized that we have a need for salvation and eternal life. And how we believed that Jesus could meet that need. And then we invited him in. And for me that was a long time ago. And for some of us it was the same. For some it might have been just a few years ago. Or for some it might not have happened yet. But we pray it will. Wherever your place, especially if you're a believer, the Bible says that there's a new name written down in glory. And that name is mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. That's the song that we're going to sing. I pray that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.